Hey, this is Kristen Yorka, host of the Wild Wonder podcast. I just wanted to jump in real quick and share with you a new opportunity on our Patreon page. Patreon subscribers now get access to the Wild Wonder book club, where we mainly focus on translated literary fiction and books by writers from marginalized communities. Book club members receive a monthly invite to our live coffee, no spoilers meetup, a Wild Wonder podcast tie-in, rituals, and more. To join our book club this month, become a Patreon supporter for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash wild wonder. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Wild Wonder podcast, where we seek to democratize and demystify holistic wellness practices by speaking with today's leading practitioners around the world. Today we have Thea Wershing, an evolutionary astrologer that's going to talk to us a little bit about Venus retrograde, what that means for us, um, and maybe dispel a little misconception. So welcome, Thea. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, so first things first, I don't think I knew what evolutionary astrology was until you mentioned it to me. Could you describe for those um, novices what that might be? Sure, yeah. I don't think I knew what it was until I started studying with Stephen Forrest. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it just kind of happened by accident for me. Um, But yeah, this is the type I've been doing for about, oh my gosh, 20 years now. I think it's when I began my evolutionary training. So essentially what evolutionary astrology is, we look at the nodes of the moon and many astrologers, you'll hear people talk about sun, moon, and ascendant, right? That's Mm -hmm. your little cocktail party triad that you need to know about to chat people up. But my bias is that I will look at the south node first. So I think of the south node as kind of who you were in a past life and all the stuff you're bringing into this life. And then the North Node gives us our future direction. So where are we heading? What are we trying to evolve into? Mm -hmm. So the type of clients that I get, they seem to want to know about their soul purpose. Like, what am I doing here? And so uh, the nodes of the moon give us a lot of insight about that. You know, like what wounds have you brought in from the past life? What gifts Mm -hmm. have you brought in? And what karmic lesson have you not taken yet? And so I think of it like a curriculum. And so the South Node is like, that's your honorary PhD, right? (laughs) So I have South Node and Taurus. So it's like, I have a PhD in Taurus. It's not possible for me to learn anything more about Taurus. Like I've done it. I've completed that lesson. But I'm moving into Scorpio. I need to embrace Scorpio. And so the North Node, uh, we call that the dragon's mouth. Mm-hmm. So it's the nature of what we need to eat. I need to eat Scorpio stuff in this lifetime. And hence, I am the Pluto babe, right? That was part of <laughs> that transition. Like, okay, let's just embrace the the Pluto, you know, Scorpio quality of my North Node. So, so you're yeah. just, you're kind of trying to invoke like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, kind of like put that out there for yourself so you can more embody it. Yeah, it's a tricky thing with astrology because, you know, definitely as an evolutionary astrologer, we don't want to be fatalistic. It's like we don't want to tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's kind of the beauty of astrology is that if you work with the imagery of the symbols, it can be very empowering. Um, And what I really like about the evolutionary system is that a lot of astrology that you read online, Mm -hmm. it will say, 
this placement means you are like this. Right. It's very flat and descriptive. Mm -hmm. And with evolutionary, uh, the principle is that you can grow into any of these placements. So it doesn't just like happen to you. It's not like, oh, you're a Leo. That means you're full of courage and confidence and you love to perform. <laughs> Any individual Leo might have to really practice that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and develop that and evolve into that. So I like that evolutionary astrology is an archetype of growth and development. So it's mm -hmm. not flat. It's like you can always, right. you know, do all of your different placements more and better and like mm -hmm. heal the bad stuff and embrace the good stuff. How has that helped you in your personal life? Oh my gosh, loads. <laughs> loads and loads. <laughs> I, I think just because I grew up with a lot of abuse. And so mm -hmm. there's that question of like, why? Why does this happen to me? It's not fair. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, why did I start out life with this limitation? Uh, so just understanding my karmic purpose helped me let go of a lot of that angst and resentment and just you know kind of think of myself as being more on a cosmic journey and that it was important for my edification and that is oh, it's just a nice belief to lean on when i feel mm -hmm. like damn it like trauma is holding me back again like i can't do all the things that everyone else does because you know the limitation of trauma so it's it's helpful to to believe that again mm -hmm. among this cosmic evolutionary journey and your your clients are also on the same kind of journey, and they're you said they want to know about their soul's purpose. Um, can you give an example of like the kind of client client that would come to you? What makes them like want to do evolutionary astrology? It's so interesting. Uh, so to go back to the this name, you know, my business name, the Pluto Babe. You know, it's kind mm -hmm. of funny. It's like I'm a feminist. Am I going to call myself a babe? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, just how that came about, but I found that when I put that marketing out there, when I really led with Pluto, I was attracting clients who really wanted to do deep soul work, mm -hmm. and that has to do with shadow integration. Uh, so I, I tend to attract clients who have had some pretty harrowing experiences, like some pretty um, plutonic experiences. So Pluto represents the shadow and can mm -hmm. represent trauma uh, in the natal chart. And I'm able to say, like, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like you're bad and you deserve this. And I think that that's what happens when we do go through these uh, more hellish experiences, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the menu of what's possible to experience in human life. Like, if we if that happens to us, it's like, oh, did I attract that? Like, we tend right. to shame and blame ourselves. So it's just a way of of working with that heavy energy as this kind of potent alchemical like transformative stuff instead of um, just the shame and blame. Yeah, because and also some of the new agey like literature around doesn't help either. I think when we're trying to heal from trauma and like the idea that maybe you brought this upon yourself and if you worked hard enough, this wouldn't bother you anymore. I think it's it's a little limiting and destructive. I agree with you there. It's such a big topic um, and it's <laughs> it's a fine line. It's really mm -hmm. a fine line um, because, yeah, we never want to blame anyone for mm -hmm. the things that have happened to them. And yet when you're able to take responsibility and mm -hmm. say, okay, this did happen to me and it's part of my evolutionary journey, uh, that can be empowering as well. So it's, 
it's sort of um I guess I'm speaking now as a practitioner whereas like some people like they're just ready to own it all like I manifested this whole life and so okay. I'm ready to just like <laughs> take ownership of that and other people have, have really been like kind of unfairly shamed and blamed for mm -hmm. things that you know they were just victims victims are real and right. um, I really don't like how new age culture tries to take that away like mm -hmm. victimhood is a real thing it's not a state of mind you know we right. get victimized all the time whether but it's um you know identity theft online or something it's just it's a real thing it's mm -hmm. not something you manifested with your brain you know <laughs> so that reminds me of a saying how much do you agree with the saying it's not your fault but it is your responsibility a hundred percent yeah that really captures the nuance of what i'm trying to bring out and um, you, you raised another really good point, too, which is this idea of using astrology for trauma healing sounds kind of funny because our normal association with astrology is like, you know, ooh, Venus is in cancer, like we're all feeling emotional or something. Right. <laughs> you know, it's kind of pop astrology. And so I think it's probably a new idea for some people that you can use the chart for this really deep psychological um, insight and perspective. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think I've gone more deeply recently in full disclosure through my work with you because I'm in your Venus retrograde class. Right. Um, instead of saying more surface about it, like, okay, Venus and Pisces, that means I'm really emotional and I kind of wear rose colored <clears throat> glasses, blah, blah, blah. It kind of made me take ownership of that and step toward, okay, if these are my inherent energies, then like, what is it that I want? Like, how right. can I more embody this thing that I already am? Absolutely. Yeah, that is the best way, I think, to use astrology. But of course, I'm biased <laughs> as an evolutionary <laughs> astrologer. But yeah, I, I think all the um, planets are these rich archetypes, mm. you know, and um, I was just on the, the phone with a client, like just before uh, recording this, and she was like, well, I thought this placement was good. Like I thought, I thought this, this was entirely good. And I was like, well, there's really no such thing as that mm. <clears throat> in the natal chart, right? It's like even a planet like Jupiter, which we think of as like, oh, that's Santa Claus, that's money bags mm -hmm. or something. Um, there can be a negative phase to a Jupiter placement, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's too much of something. It's really expanded. So I think it's useful to look at all the placements in a natal chart as there's potential for something positive and there's potential for something negative and there's also just the neutral right there's just the straight mm -hmm. descriptive so right and how do you think that benefits us in our relationships like to know more about our own makeup or natal placements um to do this kind of work how does that then help us to be in relationships Okay, so you're talking about like partnerships or mm -hmm. just relationships, or even friendships, or like communicating yeah. better with like neighbors and family. It's so huge, like it's so <laughs> it's so helpful. And I would say this is why I started getting interested in astrology as a teenager because uh, I was very self righteous and judgmental, and I didn't know why everyone wasn't like me and saw the world how I saw it. And so um, it's been very healing for me to just kind of let go of that judgment and just mm -hmm. be able to step into someone else's shoes. And so that's what 
I love about this career. And and that was more like a, a thing that happened to me <clears throat> early on in the career is that I, um, <laughs> the way I learned to do charts, I was working at Whole Foods Market at the time that I was training with Stephen Forrest. And so I just did free readings for everyone in the break room. And I think the store had 75 employees and I read for practically <laughs> everyone. And there were people who irritated me at the store. I didn't really like them. But when I would do their chart, I was like, oh, well, you've got Jupiter and Aries. Like, you're supposed to be brash and, you know, a little much, a little outgoing and, and that kind of thing. So it that was just such a healing thing for me to do, to realize that we're all on our unique individual path. Um, I, I'm just trying to think if it helps me on a practical level, if I mm-hmm. you know, meet a Trump supporter or something, <laughs> like if, I'm, if I'm able to step back and do that. So uh, I, I I can do that when I'm mm-hmm. wearing the astrologer hat, like not so much in my personal life. Uh-huh. You know, I, I still will kind of hold the boundary. But if the Trump supporter wants to come to me and like have their chart read, I'm able to set aside my personal feelings and, and mm-hmm. do that reading for them. So, yeah. You just Sorry, that was a little rambling. <laughs> no, no, that's perfect. Actually, you reminded <clears throat> me... Um in your forward to your book that accompanies your tarot deck, you um, have a writing by Mitch Horowitz. And I just read, I just watched one of his videos yesterday, for the local LA library. And um, he was talking about cruelty. And what you just said reminded me of that because as personally as a Venus and Pisces, I was maybe overly compassionate, love everybody, like see why yeah. they're hurting and why they're attacking. Um, but then there's boundaries. Then there's, like being able to stand up for yourself and still be able to push back and say like, no, this is cruelty and I'm take I'm removing myself from the situation. I do not have to engage. Yeah, he is so great. And I think I know the piece that you're talking about, but I'm really glad you brought that up too, because mm-hmm. I think when you are like an understanding, empathetic person, there's this idea that, well, if I just understood someone, Right. You know, if I just like could love them and forgive them and all that stuff, then I would feel better. But there's actual predators out there. Mm-hmm. So as I was saying earlier, victimization is real and you can never, you know, understand and love and empathize enough with a narcissist. They'll just take right. advantage of you. It's kind of like you can do all that, but they'll just use it as their food, right? Like they'll just walk <laughs> all over you. Uh, so, yeah, I guess there's a limit to astrology can help you understand the people that you're close to. That's how I think of it. Right. But I don't necessarily need to understand and empathize with the whole world. But if I'm having an issue with my husband, like he loves to bring up how he has an Aries moon and that's just how he is. <laughs> you know, it's like, And I'll be like, damn it. You have a point. Okay. Like this is just too. So yeah. Right. Yeah. We share that in that my husband is also an Aries moon. So get it <laughs> well I mean, um, it's funny you brought up like the astrology of relationships sorry to cut you off but no no go I'm, go go i'm so libran i have this huge libra stellium and so i tend to be like just really polite and reflective and thoughtful and so i have tended to date aries in my background you know like either moon or sun because there's this kind of like direct fuck shit up sorry i hope i can swear it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> just kind of like <laughs> you know, tear it all down, just get all the emotions out. And that's good for me, you know, to kind of mm. like break up that like constant thoughtfulness and reflectiveness, you know, it's a good balance. And so um, 
another principle that I love about astrology is that we can't be all the things like Mm -hmm. no one chart is ever going to be all the things. And so we need other people to sort of balance us out and and provide those qualities that we don't have ourselves. And be our mirror too. I think a lot of like my self-acceptance through astrology came from just like recognizing other people's as mirrors to myself. Absolutely. Yeah. So that segues perfectly to Venus retrograde where we're in right now. Um, Can you just give like a short abridged version of what Venus retrograde is for those that don't know? Sure. Okay. So first of all, the planets don't actually stop in the sky. (laughs) So (laughs) let's get that out of the way. But from our perspective, they do. So from our perspective, Venus appears to stop and then back up over the ground that she's just covered. And so uh, my bias as an evolutionary astrologer, like I'm not watching the planets change every day. I would find that exhausting. Like I am certainly not checking like what's the moon doing every day. Uh, I tend to look at these slower moving cycles. And so um, Venus moves pretty quickly. She moves through the entire zodiac in less than a year. And so I don't tend to pay a lot of attention to that planet as a transiting planet, except when she's retrograde, then she's hanging out in the same spot for a long time. So we tend to really like get attuned to Venus issues when Mm. Venus is retrograde. I don't think it's always negative. And so I started teaching these Venus retrograde classes because I noticed that I always had an awesome time during Venus retrograde. I'm like, oh, I'm pulling out like my old crafts. I'm listening to music I love. Like I'm finding old clothes that I used to wear. And so um, the stereotype, the kind of like the, the pop astrology stereotype is that under Venus retrograde, we'll phone up our ex-boyfriend, <laughs> you know? Or they'll jump out of the closet or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the, our lost loves will come back to haunt us in some hmm. way. Um, or yeah, we'll, we'll be dealing with some painful self-esteem issues that can come up because Venus is a planet that rules self-esteem. Uh, so I think of it as Venus is sweetness. So wherever we like to experience sweetness and for some people that could be working out, that could be like their self-care, you know, for other people, it might be hanging out with their best friend. It's like wherever we find this like sweet, you know, leisure activity, something usually goes awry with it during a Venus retrograde. Mm. So for example, in this one that we're currently in, I lost my sense of taste and smell for like three weeks. And I don't think I had COVID because I took some tests and it came out mm. negative. It was just a cold, but that's kind of like how I like to get into my body. I have all these essential oils and I'm just like really into perfume and scent. And I tend to have them like all over the house. Right. right. <laughs> I feel like I'm just consuming <laughs> constantly. And I didn't have that and it felt like my hand was cut off. It's just like, well, how do I take care of myself mm-hmm. if my go-to sweet thing is not there? And so I think Venus retrograde is asking us to expand the palette. It's like, mm-hmm. what else can we use to um, kind of take care of ourselves and experience self-love? That's, that's, it's an interesting way to put it. I've always had a great time during Venus retrograde. Um, I love reminiscing. <laughs> Maybe it's my <laughs> Venus and Pisces, I don't know. Yeah. But um, I did find new ways just by just by being aware of it and intentionally focusing on it, did find new ways to like love on myself and to like relax and find joy and just get out of my little box that I create for myself. 
who do you want to share what they are? I'm so curious. Yeah. I mean, some things are, are things I've done in the past, but I, I don't take the time. I'm, I tend to toward workaholism and perfectionism. So for me to like actually take a break is in itself a miracle. But yeah. so just through awareness to be like, this is the time that I'm supposed to be investigating what it is that lights me up, right? I have a post-it right on my computer. It's like, what do you love? What do you want? Um, to remind myself that it's not all about like striving for the next thing. So some things I, I love doing, like I got into romance novels, but which I never, never, yeah. ever read. Like I would like skip through the bookstore. Like I don't belong. I would, I like like dark, like gothic fiction, all of that stuff. And I was like, maybe it was the pandemic that I was just so over mm-hmm. like, all the traumatic experiences that I was like, I want to escape into this lovely world where everybody falls in love and it always has a happy ending. I I love that so much. And of course, that's so Venus, right? It's like the <laughs> Venus genre. And I had the thought the other day, I'm like, why am I not reading romance novels? Like, right? why am I not giving myself this, this fun? Like, that's, that is so funny. I love that you did that. And I love that you also experience that slowing down because that's usually how I experience Venus is like wow I have time I'm going to take time to just do things that are pleasurable like why don't I listen to my favorite albums more you know so I love that you experience that as well yeah and the records I got really into records and like you know records that I used to listen to when I was a kid like I, I went out and bought Madonna you know the Immaculate Collection I was like this is for me Excellent. Yeah. And so Venus is the ruler of music. Just throw that out there. That's why, you know, it tends to take that form of, you know, um, music, artistic activity and leisure. Venus is the ruler of leisure. But you also mentioned that it could also bring up um, feelings of like challenges we have around self-esteem. How would that show up during this time? Sure. Um, Well, so Venus is pretty implicated with gender, I would say, Um, even though now in our cultural moment, we're kind of like exploding the whole idea of gender. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, Venus is associated with women. And I think that most women walking around our culture today uh, feel like they're supposed to be objects of beauty. And Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that in my lifetime, this is changing, right? Like there's just so much movement around this. Like we don't have to do this anymore. Um, even kind of going back to when I was a teenager, I was in Riot Girl, right? And we were rebelling mm. against that pressure. Um, so what can often happen in Venus retrograde is that if we're getting all our joy and our sense of self-worth, how we look, uh, mm. maybe under Venus retrograde, we get a cold sore. That's like my favorite example oh. because <laughs> it's hard to feel, you know, attractive and alluring if you have a mm. cold sore. And you also can't kiss anyone, so you can't have that connection to your sweetie. Uh, and so um, a lot of women also derive their meaning and their self-worth from their partners. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's kind of like the two most common things that come up during Venus retrograde, that for some reason we're not able to feel good about how we look. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like things are rough with our sweetie, you know, we're kind of fighting with our partner or, you know, I noticed a communication breakdown with with my husband and I during Venus retrograde. So yeah, um so like what I try to do in the classes is just broaden out this idea of self-worth to get it beyond how we look because for many women that's kind of like they think that's everything. They think mm-hmm. the totality of their self-worth is that mirror image, but it's actually all of these other things, right? So 
Um, and that, I mean, that's partly from my background as well. I had pretty severe eating disorders and body image dysmorphia. And so I did a lot of work around, okay, like, what if I'm not sourcing all my value from mm -hmm. how I live? You know, what would my life be like? But it was a whole era for us because I believe we're the same generation because it was the era of like the heroin chic and like, so on top of like deriving our self-worth from the outside, we were also told what was desirable was an emaciated person, right? That yeah. that, that many of us couldn't achieve. Right? Yeah, I, I think still in our culture, I mean, I agree with you 100% because mm. it was like the age of the supermodel celebrity. Mm. So that was right. my goal. Um, but I think still like the the people we love to promote as celebrities, they're young, you know, they tend to be like yeah. teen women or like very, very young women in their 20s. And they tend to be made up in this way that it's just not realistic, right? It's like heavily doctored and like mm. the makeup and the lighting. And um, so I don't know about you, but I did not grow up with other role models. It was like, mm. That's why I wanted to be a fashion model was because that's all I was shown. It's like, this mm. is what, these are the women that culture pays attention to. And right. so um, I think it's important to just sort of like have those other role models of many different ages and talents aside from, hey, she looks great, right? Right. Yeah, I, I, I see, I know the change hasn't happened yet, but I'm grateful that it's happening. I particularly mm. love this younger generation that's kind of like blown up this idea of gender and what is attractive. Um, I just, I have hope is what I'm saying. <laughs> they might save us. I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad you see that because um, you, you have daughters, right? Mm -hmm. I have a daughter, yeah. yeah. I you have a daughter, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I remember like when I found out I was having a son, I was just like, whew, there's like so many... <laughs> Things I don't have to deal with because I just I would not know what to teach a daughter in this age, right? There's just like so many conflicting ideas, yeah. It's tough, and they're they're I don't know if it's just being an adult now and then looking at the younger generation. Probably my mom went through the same thing, but they just seem to be growing up so fast. I know that's something probably my mom said all the time, like they're growing up so fast, but they really yeah. are in a way, you know, with the advent of social media and YouTube and all this stuff, you know, they're seeing children their age, you know, acting like adults. Yeah, it's so tough. We've really uh, kept my son very sheltered. So he's seven. So, so mm -hmm. far, I don't think he's too aware of the larger reality of social media. So like as mm -hmm. long as we can feasibly get away with like not yeah. sharing that with him, we're going to do that. So. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, but then, you know, they have friends and stuff that have their own, like, YouTube channel, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Really tough, but I'm um, circling back. Um, yeah. So there is a sense, I'm looking at your card from your deck, the Renaissance, the American Renaissance Tarot. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and you've chosen Ed Edgar Allan Poe for the Two of Swords. And you you said to me that you relate that to Venus retrograde. Can you tell me why you made that choice? Sure. Yeah. Is is it okay for me to introduce the project a little bit? Yes, please, please. Okay. So uh, I think I mentioned to you, you know, when we first started communicating mm -hmm. about that, I sort of have two personalities. So I I have the Gemini rising. Okay. So I <laughs> like these two sides. So um, this healer, astrologer part of me that we've been engaging, you know, it's very soft, I feel like, you know, it's like very empathetic. 
and spiritual. And then this tarot deck I made is actually just like pretty brainy and it's based on my PhD in English, um, which was also about the history of the occult in America. So um, the, the tarot deck is like a little darker. Like I'm noticing that now using it, I'm like, oh, like, this is, it's heavy stuff, right? It's this kind of like more intellectual expression. Anyway, uh, sword suit, like sword suit is where all the troubles happen. Um, so if you know the tarot, uh, you know, even like talking about the Rider Waite Smith, like all those swords cards are, are pretty heavy. And so we used Edgar Allan Poe stories and poems for all of the swords cards in my deck because it's based on uh, American writers. Mm. And the two of swords is interesting. So I use this poem, Ula Loom, which is my favorite mm. Edgar Allan Poe poem. And uh, in this poem, the speaker is wandering in a wood on Halloween night. And he's guided by Psyche, so it's sort of like his muse or his mm -hmm. spirit guide. He's guided by Psyche to the tomb of his lost love. And he says that they had buried the his lost love, Ulalum, there one year prior. And so I associate that with Venus retrograde because it's very similar to that stereotype that we were talking about. It's like, oh, you know, Venus is backing up, so we're going to uh, revisit these lost loves. Uh, and then what's really funny about this, this actually happened after I wrote the manuscript and like I wrote the chapter for that card. I was researching uh, the poem and I just wanted to share it for Venus Retrograde. And I was like, wait a minute, I think Poe is actually talking about the visual phenomena of Venus Retrograde because in the poem Ulalum, which is beautiful, he's following a star. Um, and he's following the star Astarte, so it's Venus as the morning star, and then Psyche is, you know, his guide hanging out with him, It's like, no, don't follow that star, <laughs> you know, I don't trust her, mm -hmm. um, and it does turn out, like, she le leads him to something really upsetting and negative, right? Mm -hmm. So when I researched it, I realized that in the month that he wrote the poem, which I think is October 1847, if I'm remembering correctly, mm -hmm. Venus was actually retrograde when he wrote the poem and i was just so blown away by that um and poe was he knew that or he kind of like intuited that no i, I think he knew that because um he was an amateur astronomer and so one of the last books that poe wrote was about the history of the universe and has a lot to do with astronomy and him putting this kind of spiritual read on um the development of the universe so he kind of predicts the big bang theory weirdly mm -hmm. It, yeah, so that this is kind of like the whole occult piece, you know, looking mm -hmm. at those um, contributions to occult America. But anyway, th so that card has just kind of like grown <laughs> in these associations, <laughs> even after I wrote the book, because, yeah, I, I totally think he's aware. And the poem perfectly describes Venus retrograde, even kind of talking about the constellations mm -hmm. um, that Venus would have passed in her motion so he talks about the stars of leo in the poem so again this is getting into like super so cool. techie yeah <laughs> but i have a blog about it. <laughs> i have a blog about it on my website if you know any astro nerds are curious about yeah, it yeah i'll put the link in in the show notes for sure okay <laughs> so we have so you've chosen poe as this two of swords two of swords for you what does it mean i know when i did um i started my tarot scholarship i usually equated the the swords to like mental chemistry or like challenges of the mind. 
Yeah. But in, in this take, it's more, I don't know, in the way you just described it, it brings to mind like the fight between the mind or the psyche and the heart. That is so okay. perfect the way you put it. Yeah, I really agree with that. So um, even just like visually, you know, just like mind versus heart. And so we were really feeling into the two-ness of that card. So all the twos mm -hmm. are kind of unstable and there's like that contest implied um, so I think as this card is specifically having to do with trauma and how trauma can blind us to to what's happening. And so I even think about the speaker in the poem. It's like he has no awareness that he's walking straight to his wife's grave. Mm -hmm. And so I think of, you know, the ways that we can get kind of frozen or shut down um, or or numb, mm -hmm. you know, and we're not able to move because we have this trauma. And um, the Deccan associated with uh, the Two of Swords is the moon in Libra. And I love that because to me, it's like, okay, we may not be able to consciously address this trauma. We may not be able mm -hmm. to think our way out of it and make a decision. So we need something sweet to kind of move the feelings through, right? So I think of mm -hmm. Libra as being, you know, art, beauty, like something cultural and refined. And uh, this is all like in the chapter right up, I think, for right, this right. card. And um, Ula Loom, the poem actually sounds like music. It's just a very, you can hear it in the, the name, right? Ula Loom. It's like this very it's like lulling. a lullaby. Yeah, yeah. So I think that it's just, I think of it as like using art and music and these other um, creative outlets to move your feelings through. So if we use this card as, as therapy, um, what is it asking us to investigate within ourselves? It just feels so timely to uh, this Venus retrograde <laughs> workshop that you're in with me right now yeah. because, you know, Libra is, of course, ruled by Venus, right? So there's this uh, Venus theme coming through. Um, I think that I'm, I'm like thinking of so many things now. <laughs> They're all competing in my brain. Um, what we've been talking about in the Venus retrograde group is how to um, relate to these aspects of Venus that we normally dismiss, right? Because Venus can represent a kind of shallowness, like something mm -hmm. we just do for pleasure. And so we tend to judge that and dismiss it. But actually, when we are tuned in to the mm -hmm. things that we love, we're much better able to move through things that are difficult, right? So it's like, yeah. If you're giving yourself all the comforts and joys and like simple things that make you happy, like reading the romance novel or whatever, um, your your body gets into a happier state, right? Like your mm -hmm. body will feel very uplifted. You'll feel very seen and supported. And so then it is easier to kind of face those more difficult things. So I think that's the higher message of this card, which, you know, admittedly looks a little creepy. I will acknowledge that. <laughs> I love creepy. <laughs> yeah, me too. But, me too. But it did make me think of like I used to remind myself in in times of grief that it's not all grief. Like there are moments of joy within the grief when a person is experiencing grief. There are moments where you could still find love. You could still find some sense of connection. It's not a complete shutdown, or it doesn't have to be. Yeah, I, it reminds me a lot of um, this workshop, which we've combined with somatic experiencing. So I'm working with a co-facilitator, Kelly Goodell, and um, I'm just kind of echoing 
something she said because mm -hmm. I'm not a somatic experience practitioner. Uh, but, you know, when we are dealing with those heavy things to just have these resources mm -hmm. in our body and also just in our space, you know, so if I could look around and just see all my resources, like I've been touching rocks the whole time that we're right. talking because like that's very comforting to me. It gives my fingers something to do. And mm -hmm. so even in the face of overwhelming emotion, if we can kind of have that connection to our bodies and what makes our bodies happy. And I, I even had this thought, right, because, you know, we've been doing the somatic exercises in class. Mm -hmm. I was driving home the other day, listening to a great song, and the wind was blowing through my hair. Mm -hmm. And I could just feel in my bodily awareness, like it was so pleasurable to mm -hmm. me, you know, just to like feel the wind blowing through my hair and have this awareness of my body and just like feeling comfortable in it. And um, that's kind of that principle of somatic experiencing like if right. we're able to be in our bodies it's easier to oscillate into the heavy emotions and then come mm -hmm. back to that that beauty and that joy that you were talking and about it kind of allows us to take that like 360 view i feel like we're in a moment of trauma or grief it kind of whittles our life down to like this one thing but yeah. by like expanding our awareness even to our immediate surroundings all of a sudden it doesn't feel like the only thing Absolutely. And I, I love that idea that came up in class around walking, right? Around mm -hmm. how walking is yeah. so healing. Because I find that too, is that if I'm able to just like take a break, like whenever it's too intense, if I'm able to just go walk, then I see things outside that, you know, get me out of that self-focus. And it's just like, mm -hmm. these flowers are so beautiful. The world is alive. Birds are singing, you know, <laughs> there is that magical power of, of taking walks, a big walker. Absolutely. I try to remind myself of that every day because, as you know, I'm a, as a writer, you can very much be in your head and like trapped, I can, trapped in a room for eight to ten hours and not even realize there's a world out there. Yeah. And then walking is so healing. You're like, ah, <laughs> there's life happening all around. Totally, totally, yeah. And um, there's someone... I, I would say I follow her, but I don't really like follow anyone because I don't <laughs> spend that much time on social media. But I love Katie Bowman's work is the point, mm -hmm. um, because she talks about how movement is really nutrition. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like this missing ingredient in our lives. And I just think about how people navigated the world 100 years ago and more. And they were probably walking for two to three hours a day. Like there was no other way to do things like to do all right. your chores you know, get the water from the well or like walk into town, you know. Um, I, I just wonder about that and like our current very high rates of, you know, anxiety, depression, mm -hmm. <clears throat> mental illness, you know, does that have to do with just not like seeing the world? Yeah, I well, I realized that I didn't even have to go too far, but I realized that most of the world still lives that way. When yeah. I went to college in Spain, we didn't, I didn't have a car yeah. and I would walk to school and I got back to Miami and I was like, oh, I walked to school and it was like a mile and a half. It wasn't that far, a mile and a half, two miles. And, but I wouldn't walk to my friend's house in Miami that was probably less distance. It just never occurred to me that I could just walk there instead of getting in my car and driving there. Right. We're totally missing all those things. And that's like a lot of Katie Bowman's work is just like putting the labor back into things yeah. <laughs> that have been convenienced out of our lives like I remember her talking about just like turning around when you're gonna pass someone on the road like when you're driving we right. now have like all these you know cameras yeah. and things like so we don't have to turn around and she's like 
this movement is becoming extinct. This is like an extinct <laughs> movement. Like we never even have to turn our head around anymore. So it's just, it's so interesting to me. It's, it's wild. I, that reminds me of a talk I went to see Elizabeth Gilbert years ago. And she mm. talks about how now we walk around as if we were just a brain on a stick. Yeah. Like we don't even think of anything from here down anymore. We're missing just so much of life, it feels like, you know, there's just this like rich vocabulary in the body that mm -hmm. like we're, we're starved. We're not getting that medicine. Yeah, which is why I started the podcast about a year ago, a little over a year. And it was mm -hmm. because I felt like we were just in like the middle of the pandemic. We didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. And I felt like a lot of people didn't have tools or rituals around what to do. Like, and I was teaching yoga at the time. I was like, and if they can't move their bodies, then what like mm -hmm. so i i wanted to be able to share different types of rituals and different practices that people could do at any time um yeah. so that's part of the podcast too i'm wondering if you have a a practice that someone can do during venus retrograde or really any time where they can get in touch with their sense of self-love and acceptance Sure. Yeah. So I think of this as the Venus hand mirror ritual, which it's really just a set of practices. And so uh, the symbol or the glyph for Venus in astrology, it's a circle on top of a cross. So it actually looks like a hand mirror. Um, so I think these are particularly good for uh, connecting with your natal Venus, which is your source of joy. So I'm just going to give some exercises that I ask people in the class to do. Uh, so one thing you can do is make an image collage of your three style icons. And it sounds silly, right? But it's like we're trying to get into that Venus, like, what is your taste? By the way, that was my favorite exercise. <laughs> I loved it. It's so rich, right? It really yields so much. And so what I've noticed, um, you know, when people in the class have done this, is that people are picking these, you know, actors or icons, you know, artists that look like them or reflect them in some way. And I think this is just such a healthy uh, self-esteem thing, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that we tend to notice or be attracted to people who reflect us in some way. And so that's the first part of the exercise is to do the collage. Mm -hmm. And then I've also had people um, do a similar thing, like make a visual collage. You can do it on your desktop or like actually cut stuff out if you want, um, but your favorite paintings. Mm -hmm. you know, and like surround yourself with like your favorite artistic expressions. And then I have people um, share their favorite song. And so in this context, I would say, you know, listen to your favorite song, listen to your three favorite songs if you have time. And then the meditation here is just to reflect on how you feel. And, you know, in my workshops, you do this over, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of days. Mm -hmm. So um, for the personal Venus uh, intensive here, you know, take however much time you want with this, right? You could do that every three days, but then just look at how you feel. And Venus has this very like local, intimate quality. It's like accessible love. Um, so other types of love are more cosmic love, or like Neptune is more cosmic love, but Venus is the thing that feels available. It's like our best friend, you know, or our neighbor or something. Um, and I notice that when I surround myself with things that reflect me and feel like me, I feel safer. I feel kind of like a teenager. I don't yeah, know if that's totally. like the, the age yeah. where you're like, yeah. it's about my likes and my taste and I have to assert yeah. myself. Right? 
And so it's just, I don't know, it's just this great feeling of like, oh, right, you know, like I do have taste, I have personality, I have preferences. Like, mm -hmm. so I feel like it's a very um, embodying way <laughs> um, to connect to astrology. So Venus is all about embodiment, right? Like Venus mm -hmm. is the ruler of Taurus, it's like tangible things. So I, I feel like there's something really um, comforting about it. And it also produces a lot of joy just to surround yourself with things that you love. And it sounds so simple, but a lot of people don't take the time for it. And as you've mentioned, oh, I'm working all day. I'm not going to take the time to right. just like listen to a record, <laughs> you know? So a lot of us have ideas of what we love, but how often do we actually like set that time aside to indulge in pleasure and joy. Right. A lot of people don't do that. And a lot of people don't even know um, what they would do, you know? Mm. So Especially as like a femme identifying person, because a lot of the times we're told that like to be selfless is to always put another person before yourself. And especially if you're a mom or like you're a caregiver of some <laughs> form, there's always... Yeah there seems to be always someone more important than you. So if we never take the time to like explore what, it, I, that's why I have a, a post that says, what is it that you love? To remind yeah. myself that I'm a person too. Right. Right. So it can just allow you to feel more concrete around that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that. It's yeah. just so, so great. So um, yeah. And we, we talked a little bit about in the workshop about Venus versus the moon. Mm -hmm. So the moon tends to take care of our basic needs. And Venus is like that extra stuff that we might not necessarily give ourselves. So, yeah, um, I feel like I'm not giving you enough information. What am I missing here? Like, what else? No, needs I think to that. No, I think you're spot on. No, that's okay. a perfect description because I, at least I, in my experience growing up, I wasn't taught to look at the extra. It was always take care mm -hmm. of your basic needs and take care of the basic needs of all those around you. I'd yeah. never felt like there was any space to explore, like, but what do I love? What makes me feel yeah. embodied? What makes it things feel like me? I, I feel like the other piece I want to mention here is, like, how we judge and dismiss Venus, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, on a very basic level, Venus can be how we look, how we like to dress, like these things that feel very shallow. And I think for those of us who are more soulful, right, like us here mm -hmm. today, that can feel a little dangerous. Like, well, I'm not a shallow person. Right. You know, I'm deep. I don't care about surfaces, right? So we mm -hmm. tend to just dismiss those things. Um, but it's like I'm wanting to bring them back and and claim them in this way that's empowering. Like, it is okay to care about those superficial things, even if they seem silly, because you'll notice they just give you this effervescence. They give you this joy. So I, I think that's what's difficult about these exercises for people. Right. It's just I think it's, I think it's what finally allowed me to stand in the romance section without feeling embarrassed. You know? I love that. And it I just, like I want you to know <laughs> the podcast I did last night, like it was a, like a romance novel podcast, <laughs> but they're my friends and they're like, well, you wrote a book. So like talk to us about sex in your book. And I was like, okay, but I just think it's so fun. And I'm like, why am yeah. I not reading these books all the time? It would be anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it it took like all this inner work to be able to even like purchase a book at a bookstore or like go to the library and check one out because I don't know who I, I thought was judging me. 
I, I think it's just like all this baggage we put on women, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't yeah. think there's any like corresponding shame around like men's erotica or like using porn or something. Like it's, just, <laughs> I don't know. Right. But it's like we like to belittle women for their joys. So, yeah. Yeah. I am so happy you're here. I think, I think that those are great um, practices. You also did one that I really liked that was about thinking about your three like favorite people or three best friends. Yeah. That was really interesting to me um, because I feel like my three best friends are so different than me mm. kind of on the surface. Right. Mm. I would say they reflect more like my moon Virgo, like they're like very responsible, very earthy, very down to earth. Where like I'm all Aries all around, which is like so. But yeah. it was interesting for me to like reflect on like what I love about these people and why they make me feel at home or make me feel joy or make me feel pleasure. Yeah, there's kind of like this. This these exercises are kind of deceptively simple because mm-hmm. if we talk about you know if we if we say just think positive thoughts, right? Like if we tell right. people that like think positive thoughts, like you'll feel more positive. But I find that if we just like focus on what we love, mm-hmm. it uplifts our spirits, right? There can be this whole emotional transformation. So for me, just thinking about my three best friends, mm-hmm. like <laughs> puts me in a great mood. I'm like, right. I love these people. Like I'm focused on this positive thing. And, uh, you know, again, the principle here is to use that hand mirror. So it's like, well, what do mm-hmm. these people reflect about me? It's like, okay, mm-hmm. they might balance me out. They might have these opposite qualities. But what do we have in common? Mm. And that's always been so great to see. Like I can think of um, my best friend right now. She's a meditation teacher Mm. and I love how thoughtful she is. Mm. And so Mm. we'll just have like these long conversations where we're just like talking about consciousness and I'm like, oh, well, I have that too. I like that about her, but Mm. we engage in that activity together. So it's allowing me to see like a facet that I have. And use that hand mirror. Yeah, so. I think it also helped me to like reinforce or acknowledge my own values because what makes me friends with these three women are because we share deeply held core beliefs. Thank you so much for bringing that up because <laughs> another uh, rulership of Venus is values. Like, <laughs> and surprisingly, right? It's a <laughs> it makes yeah. a big difference in terms of like what we do for work and who we have for friends. Like values define so much of who we are and. that's connected to the self-esteem piece because Mm -hmm. we tend to like ourselves or not like ourselves based on our value. It's like, are we living up to our own values? So that's a, that's a rich place to think about as well. Right. It's like, how do your choices in the world reflect your values? So that, that helps me when I'm like, why do I not have a million dollars? Oh, because like I have a real value of free time, (laughs) you know, and like, having a personal life. I want to spend time with my kid. Like that's a strong value of mine. So it's like, I put less focus on being affluent. Right. Right. And it's also, it also helps me reinforce my values in terms of the things that our society does not value or seems not to value. Right. Like, um, I believe in art for art's sake. I think art is, it has an inherent value, but that's not what our, our society tells us. But if yeah. I if I hold strong to that value, then it, it's valuable for me and that that can be enough. I agree a thousand percent. I'm just so with that. And I think that 
what you'll find when you make that a value is then that your life is filled with these magical artistic experiences, whether you're dancing or creating and it's like, and you'll meet those people and, and right. they'll share their creativity with you. And yeah, that is true wealth to me. I think that's beautiful. Agreed. Versus I remember in like my mid to late twenties where I would like take on society's values and I tried to like achieve at a high level at a career and take those jobs that were important and like make all the money and have the the home and I couldn't have been more depressed in my entire life for sure yeah this is this is just what I love about astrology in general because it allows me to kind of talk back to the culture like when I'm talking mm -hmm. to my clients and just <laughs> kind of unpacking <laughs> just just capitalist culture and like what it tells us is important is just it's mm -hmm. not true it's a lie yeah. <laughs> so I love that you brought that up. Yeah. I think that's the perfect place to stop because I really want um, to give folks the time to meditate on these themes and to take the time to experience these practices because they are so valuable and they they really let you know what, what it is you're even like living for, you know. Oh, I love how you put that. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a beautiful, soulful conversation. Yeah. I enjoy you so much. So thank you. Loved it. Thank you for coming on. Um, if folks want to find you, where can they go? Sure. Um, so my website is theplutobabe.com. That's the astrology website. And I also have an Instagram. Uh, so it's T-H-E underscore Pluto underscore babe. And the tarot deck, the American Renaissance tarot, is pretty widely available on Amazon. But I also have an Instagram where I occasionally post about tarot stuff, and that's at American Tarot. Uh, yeah, so that's how you can find And it's find beautiful. Me. It's I'll give my recommendation. I've been slowly working through it, and it's interesting. Um, my my lineage, I'm Cuban American. My and I recently discovered that my great grandmother was a spiritualist in the occult tradition um, from France, right? So it's interesting to see the American perspective, right? How that came into the Americas and then into the Caribbean um, from this from this perspective. So it, I'm, I'm like marinating on each page. <laughs> that is so fascinating. Did you know that uh, the writer Anais Nen was uh, French Cuban? Yeah, Cuban, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and cool. when I that was my first like deep dive into my Venus placement in Pisces. Yeah, um, I was always drawn to her work, and I was like, oh, it's because it has all this Piscean imagery and you know otherworldliness to it. I love that though. Like she also, I just because you mentioned this to me the other day, she mm -hmm. grew up speaking three languages, so mm -hmm. you can see that in her writing. So she's got English, French, and Spanish, and so it's like she's got kind of characteristics of all those languages That's so, I didn't work. know about the three languages but I currently have three languages in my house uh, my first language Spanish English and Italian nice. so we kind yeah. of have <laughs> a sea of voices in here yeah I love it very cool um we'll talk more about that later but um for now thank you so much for being here with me um and I'll see you next time I guess I'll see you this weekend <laughs> yes okay it was my pleasure thank you All right. thanks so much bye